Hey, did somebody call for backup? What's up, prodigies? And welcome back to Call for Backup, a prodigal son podcast from Nerds and Beyond. This week, we'll be dealing with the events of season two, episode two of Prodigal Son. So if you're not caught up, this is your big spoiler warning. Come listen to us once you've watched on Fox Now or Hulu. At the taping of this episode, episodes 17 to 20 of season one are on Fox Now, and the first two episodes of season two were on Hulu. So joining us this week are several of our Nerd to Be On Writing team, but first, let me introduce myself. I'm Kaylee, and I'm a staff writer at Nerds. You can find me on social media at Kaylee Gross. For this episode, I'm joined by Leanne Kennedy and my co-host, Jules. So thank you guys for joining this week. Kennedy is providing a quick recap of the episode. Jules will be leading the discussion of our favorite noteworthy moments, and I'll be helping to discuss our theories as well as giving you a nice dose of inspiration for the week ahead. Before we begin, I'll let the other staff members introduce themselves and explain what they do for nerds. Hey everyone, I'm Leanne. I am a writer here at Nerds and Beyond, and you can find me on Twitter at LibrarianLeanne. Hey guys, I'm Kennedy. Um, I'm an editor and writer at Nerds and Beyond, and you can find me over on Twitter at Kennedy Lynch. Hey guys, I'm Jules. I am a writer, editor, and content assistant at Nerds and Beyond, and you can find me on Twitter at Jules Writes Blog. This week on Prodigal Son, we saw Malcolm continue to confront his inner demons, as well as some outer ones, as he and the team take on a case that was very supernatural-esque. When the body of Catholic priest Father Reyes is found dangling from the ceiling of a church, the team must work together to solve the case with some help from our favorite psych patient, Dr. Martin Whitley, and his new friend at Claremont, Friar Pete, or as I like to call him, Friar Creep. To read a more in-depth summary of what went down this week on Prodigal Son, make sure to check out our recap on nerdsandbeyond.com. So without further ado, we're going to start getting into some of the moments from the episode that we wanted to talk about. We wanted to highlight some of our reactions, starting kind of from the little moments to like the really big moments, like the big stuff we got to talk about for the season ahead. Um, So the first thing I wanted to talk about is, isn't it great how we got a little bit of like Ainsley and Malcolm being like typical brother and sister? Like normally it's all murder and intrigue, but they were like teasing their mom about going out on a date. And then Ainsley had that amazing line of whether Gil lets Jessica wear his turtlenecks, which is just so cute. Like, what did you guys think of those moments? Because I thought they were so sweet. I thought, um, honestly, it was one of my favorites. And just, it's, we don't have those moments often where like Ainsley and Malcolm just get to kind of be kids, not kids, but her kids. You know what I'm saying? Like kids are supposed to kind of joke around with their parents and kind of embarrass them and, um, I thought it was really cute and um I hope it's true that he lets her wear turtlenecks but I feel like it's not her style you know maybe she can like <laughs> I don't know make her own turtleneck or something Jessica's too fancy to wear the turtlenecks first of all I don't think she would ever <laughs> even if Gil offered but I was living for the side eyes that Malcolm and Ainsley were like throwing at each other the whole time she was trying to deny it I it was perfect it's just so funny how she seems to think that they don't know when Malcolm works with Gil. Like, really? You don't think we know about this, Mom? Come on. Also, the only way I could see Jessica in the turtleneck is if it was, like, more into their relationship and she was wearing just the turtleneck as, like, a morning after thing. 
that, that's all I can come up with that, that would be like an acceptable thing for her to wear. I think it's funny how Gil and Jessica think that nobody knows, but not only do Malcolm and Ainsley know, but like the whole precinct knows. Danny was aware. I'm sure JT knows, but he's going through a lot right now. I don't know. <laughs> he's he's worried about bigger issues than whether or not Jessica and Gil have finally made it like official. But it is it is amazing how they're sneaking around like they're the teenagers in this situation when literally everyone in their life is aware of what's going on. I just I it was so sweet. That whole moment was so sweet. I just think maybe like the passing of the turtleneck is like a rite of passage, maybe like, a, <laughs> you know, once they've reached like the one month mark, maybe he just leaves a turtleneck like in a drawer or something or like, you know, like <laughs> instead, of hoodies, <laughs> instead of hoodies, she steals his turtlenecks. Oh, that's oh actually gosh. perfect, though. That's awesome. Instead of like a toothbrush, he leaves a turtleneck. Yeah, he can spray it with like his cologne and she can like lay with it at night just so in case you know she misses him she can just kind of get his scent you know and it kind of comes off a little creepy but (laughs) (laughs) i promise you i don't know i I feel like we'll talk about this more at the end when we when we talk about what ultimately happens with gil and jessica this episode breaking hearts everywhere but um yeah for right now, we'll stay in the adorable feels of what, what would happen if Jessica got to wear one of Gil's turtlenecks. Um, one of the other things that I thought was so funny about this episode was that we kind of got to see Martin in a new place. He was outside, which was different for him. Um, and we got to see a little bit more of Claremont, which it seems like from all the promos, it's going to be a bigger part of the season. It's kind of learning about what life is like there. But one of the lines that stood out is when Bright first gets there. And he says, it smells like urine. And Martin just says, that would be the urine. Very matter of factly. Um, but what did you guys think about seeing a little bit more of Martin's home, where, where his home base is? I like it. I think that, I don't know, I kind of like getting to know a little bit more of like the background of Claremont and all the people and the patients and how... I guess that really affects Martin. Like, I'm hoping that, like, again, I said this last episode and I want it to be true that we get like a Mr. David portion of the show where he gets his own episode or something. Um, But I think it's interesting because I don't know, it kind of, it might not, you know, because we've only really seen Martin's cell. But now we're kind of like, it may not be as dark and scary as it seems like we've all seen before. So. I'm wondering if Martin had like privileges to go outside before and they just didn't show it or if now that you know he's getting I guess not special treatment because you know Endicott's gone but um I guess back to normal treatment he gets to go out on the yard with everyone else I don't know. I would also be curious because he mentioned in the first episode that he helped cut off the COVID spread in his other prison is this like a new bonus thing he gets to go out and interact with people also on kind of a separate idea, all I could think about when you saw him on the chain tied to the pole was that they've turned him into a living tetherball game. <laughs> I saw I you like that. that. That's, that's all my brain could process at first is, oh my gosh, it's the tetherball game. He's the tetherball. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Like, like just I like I had like flashbacks just like flood my brain with like and it's funny like they were kind of walking in a circle I just thought it was really cute and especially when was it Friar 
Pete, right? Is that what his name was? When he like came up to Malcolm and like Malcolm started to freak out a little bit, but then Fire Pete like got caught, like stopped and Malcolm's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like it'd be the one time that the, the cord breaks. Can you imagine? <laughs> like, I mean, Malcolm's there, of course it's going to happen. Exactly. <laughs> so one thing that I think we were more prone to notice than perhaps more than the general population is that this episode was given us some serious supernatural vibes. Now, for those of you who don't know supernatural, and though I, I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you have at least a passing idea of what supernatural is, but supernatural is a show that actually just finished running on the CW. It was running for about 15 years, and it was about two brothers who hunt ghosts and monsters and all manner of things that go bump in the night. And this whole episode was like an hour long true crime tribute to supernatural. We had exorcisms, we had churches, we had all kinds of things going on. I mean, did you guys pick up on those vibes? What were you guys thinking when you were watching the episode last night? Oh, absolutely. I was like, hello, <laughs> supernatural. I'm like, did, did my channel, like, did it, what happened? Like, am I watching an old episode? Because it had the salt, it had the the demons, it had like the the Latin exorcism, it had it, had it all. And I was like, it made me miss supernatural more, but that's a whole nother topic. But um, I kind of liked the, for me, it was a nod to Supernatural. Um, I don't know if that's what they were going for, but I I rather enjoyed it, to be honest. All I could think about when Malcolm stepped outside, like the salt lines was like, don't step outside the salt circle. Like that's the only thing that was going through my mind. I wrote the recap for this week and I kid you not, every other line of my notes was like, am I watching Supernatural? Am I watching Supernatural? What is going on right now? <laughs> I was expecting them to like, this sounds weird. I like accidentally kind of memorized like the exorcism they used on Supernatural because they said it so much in the early seasons. But I was expecting them to like say that one because I know, well, I know like Prodigal Sons on Fox, but the CW, um, some of their other shows like Legends of Tomorrow when they in introduced um, like Constantine's character, they like use the same one. So I was, I was ready for it. Yeah, that's the thing. You're watching it going, all right. I mean, we've got Malcolm who's kind of doing the Dean thing very kind of pushing the edges and then when they're visiting Norman poor JT has the Sam bitch face going on pretty strongly of like god what are you doing come on but I mean it's been a while since I've seen this okay um can I just say Abaddon I, that's my first <laughs> that was my first like I'm sorry what did you say I, I don't I don't think I quite heard you and just like and then him being like, the power of Christ compels you. I was like, oh my God, what is going on? <laughs> We're watching a deleted episode from season two of Supernatural that never made it to air. Also, I fully agree with the assessment that Malcolm is Dean. And I, I would say JT is absolutely Sam in that scenario. Um, I just, I, I thought it was so fun to see their dynamic a little bit as well. Every time JT and Malcolm are out on a case together, it just makes my heart happy because much like Malcolm and Adresa have like a fun thing going on, I feel like JT and Malcolm have a fun thing going on together too. And his face when Malcolm crossed the salt line, it was this mix of exasperation and just terror because he's like, what did this man just unleash for no reason at all? Like we said, Sam with the faces, Dean and Sam, Dean doing something stupid Sam giving him the face but also um I'd like to I know we're not going to revisit the storyline but I'd like to know more about what's his name Norman the guy who was like in the church because I I want to know if he like what I want to know if they can get to the bottom of like what was going on with him he was like 
you could see him like visibly like slam into the I don't know invisible wall when he thought that you know Malcolm like stepped back over the line I think it'd be interesting to like view some of the past characters and see how they're doing like that and we had that character come back I mean in the first season we had the guy who got his hand chopped off and then we got to see him like a few episodes later and see what he was up to I think I need to check in with Norman in a few episodes and see how he's doing I also love that that was such a great nod to Psycho too because you have Norman and you have Mother and just some of the little things in there that they threw in they really wanted to make like a full like horror episode of the show even though it was still it ended up being like a person you know it was a very real horror of lead poisoning um but they they made it interesting enough that you actually thought oh maybe it is an exorcism Someone said on Twitter, this would be a Halloween episode of any other show. But it's just episode two of Prodigal Son. Enjoy. <laughs> Tuesday nights on Fox. <laughs> <laughs> and Kennedy just said, too, that the nun was incredibly creepy. And she was. She was super scary. Um, that actress was great because I fully believe that she was the one who did it. Um, until they literally panned to the guy in the church getting all sweaty I thought for certain it was her and we were going to get like a JT nun showdown in that scary crypt down there also can we mention that painting they were restoring and what it looked like when they pulled the sheet off I'm like oh it's my (laughs) my preschool story timer art great good look (laughs) it was amazing when I when they pulled that sheet off it was just I thought it might, I thought it was going to be literally like, just like writing all over it. Like somebody like went psycho on it. And instead it was just a really, really bad restoration of it, which is horrible when you think about how much time and probably money they put into that restoration. That priest was like, this is not what I signed up for. Like, no. He's like, do you know how long? It's exactly what he signed up for, Kaylee, because he's a priest and this was an exorcism. It is literally the only thing he signed up for. <laughs> I think it's funny how the priest's like first thought was not, oh, that guy behind us is about to murder us. It was, he ruined the painting. <laughs> of course. <laughs> priorities. You gotta have priorities, right? Plus he, he thought the nun did it. So he was all good. I wonder if that um, once like the sheet was taken off and you saw like the... Like, the people looked like they had been, like, melted a little bit. I don't know if that's part of it. Like, as he was painting it, he got, because of the lead poisoning, if he just got more and more, like, I hate using the word, like, delusional. But, like, just having those, like, symptoms start to appear. I wonder if that was kind of a nod to that. Like, over time, it started out really nice. And then, like, it started to just kind of go downhill really, really quick. I think the next thing we wanted to touch on a little bit is that Martin has been consulting on so many cases with the NYPD and, and like not an accredited way either, because it's not like Malcolm's giving him credit. Like he's just going to see his dad and then coming back and being like, guys, I figured it out. Like as if it was his thing to figure out, especially this episode when really Friar Pete was the one who was pushing him to look into that medical stuff. He was not doing that on his own. That was something somebody told him. And then Bright didn't even say that in the precinct when he came in. He just said, oh, this book, this is it. This is the one. And never explained where he got it. I'm laughing so hard because (laughs) I just see him come, like, I just imagining in my head him just, like, slamming the precinct door open. It's like, guys, I've done it. Like, (laughs) 
<laughs> he does. He, he does every single time because he whips around from that little whiteboard that he has or his chalkboard with all his little like pinned ideas in there as though he was the one to track down that stuff. I want some justice for Friar Pete here. He's the one who came up with that. Just like as a fair point though, are you really going to credit your success to two known, you know, kind of psycho killers? I mean... Well, let's not advertise the fact that your dad is a surgeon and is helping you solve cases. Because, you know, <laughs> the public approval for that, I'm sure, is going to be super high. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the whole team knows he's going visit Martin. I mean, he, before, okay, when he went and visited him the first time, when they were, like, walking around the tetherball, um, <laughs> he, like, told them, like, he was like, oh, well, I know somebody who knows. But I just, they've, they've got to know. They've got to know. Yeah, I was just going to say that they have to know. And he's helped on cases before. I mean, we're, like, where else do they think that he's going home to sleep, which he doesn't do? Like, yeah, he just, yeah, he's just going to take a pop down to, the, like, the nearest pizza shop and just have a bite. Like, no, like, where else is he going? <laughs> like, I don't know. I just think, you know, Friar Pete solved the whole case here. And Malcolm was a little bit doubtful. He was a little doubtful about it. He really, really wanted it to be the Catholic Church gone wrong. Like, he did not want to think about any other cause. And Friar Pete's like, I have institutional knowledge here. I know what I'm doing. I don't know. I just really vibed with Friar Pete. I really enjoyed his character this episode. I don't know why, but <laughs> we'll see where he goes this season. Well, like I mentioned in an earlier conversation, it's very similar kind of tonality-wise for this episode to the show Evil on CBS, where it's basically, you know, a would-be priest is going through and looking at potential exorcisms and going is this real is it not and have a psychologist and someone who's very pragmatic going all right could this be something else and you know maybe it's copper poisoning in this case it was lead poisoning so it's interesting to see friar pete who is part of the church kind of playing that person who's like no it's it's not a devil he's probably just you know dying of lead poisoning and just going crazy first I also think it's interesting, like how, like Joel said, how much Malcolm really wanted it to be like the church's fault. I feel like he's, Malcolm's obviously going through a lot right now um, <laughs> with, every, <laughs> with everything that's happening. But um, I feel like he's looking for someone to like blame, I guess, which you kind of saw there at the end, which we'll get into later. But, um, you know, he's having a hard time like rectifying in his mind, like, why me? Why? does all this happen to me? Why is it always me that has to be the one in this position to do X, Y, Z? So I just thought that was interesting. I think Kennedy's right. I think he has a lot of guilt. I think that's why maybe he, like, when the the priest was like, Conf- you know, do you want to confess anything or you want to confess your sins? He was like, oh, he's like, how long do you got? Like, <laughs> do I? <laughs> do I want to confess my sins? <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> can I, you know, can I block off the whole day or is this like a... <laughs> <laughs> their time limit um but i i agree definitely i think he has a lot of guilt for everything that happened and he doesn't know how to deal with it and it's kind of why he's not really going to his therapist right now so because you know his therapist would take one look at him and be like there's something really wrong here because she was a good therapist and we don't talk about that enough but i mean this whole episode is just people basically walking up to brighton going you don't look so good from <laughs> jessica to martin to the random priest who met him two days ago and already can see that this man is just weighed down by all this guilt i mean like everyone knows something's up with malcolm at least they're not all assuming he's a murderer this time <laughs> that's true <laughs> truth 
but the fact is like in season one it would happen all the time and it wasn't true but now that's closer to the truth and it is happening so i don't know Yikes. i don't know i don't know what's <laughs> gonna happen um now let's talk about something a little nice and fun and cute and light we have two moments with the ship that everyone's talking about brightwell which of course is malcolm and danny and there are two kind of fun moments. One of them, which I just found hilarious. I don't know if it's just me. When Malcolm wakes up in the precinct and the entire NYPD is watching him sleep because they're waiting for him to freak out when the nightmare is over. And Danny is smart enough to be wearing body armor, but I don't know. It just struck me as hilarious that all of these people were watching Malcolm sleep, waiting for the freak out. Like, what did you guys think of that moment? Um, I thought it was like hilariously but also kind of cute because he like wakes up like I mean I'm glad he just didn't like bolt you know when he woke up because that's what happened the last time and he like tackled Danny to the floor um in the pilot episode but I I don't know I kind of thought it was funny she's like he's like why are you wearing body armor she's like basically like how am I not wearing body armor like do you know (laughs) who you you are like of course (laughs) exactly I am so thoroughly convinced that every single officer that is not like in the like little squad that they have is like deathly afraid of Malcolm. Like I know Jules when she was like live tweeting was like so Malcolm just fell asleep at work and nobody said anything and I was like they they were too afraid to wake him up. That's what's going on. <laughs> but they're all willing to let Danny do it. They're all willing to let her get tackled, stick her in front with the body armor and call it a day. I would say they feel like she's got a safer bet at least if Malcolm wakes up and sees her it's like you're a familiar face I know you the rest of them are like he he chopped off a guy's hand in the case last year like who the heck knows what he's gonna do to me well and like he also sleeps with chains like with like things so when he's not you should maybe be a little worried because I mean at one point he like flew out his window just hanging just hey how's it hanging oh you know it's another there's another Tuesday just you know so I think it it probably is some sort of safety concern you know I just had a thought I wonder if they have like a safety seminar like okay if we see Malcolm sleeping but we're like protocol like he's their you know HR I mean? training Malcolm exactly. is all their HR training it's just how to deal with this guy and then half of the cops in the room are probably like but wait a minute is he's not an employee like we don't pay him like he just shows up and does whatever he wants and then goes home at the end of the day he only takes the cases that are interesting to him he doesn't take like any old case it's just like oh this one I like this one can you imagine them running a background check on him oh they wouldn't I, I 100 <laughs> Gil did not clear this with anyone before he called Malcolm in <laughs> no one knows he's there except for the the like small crew I know we have said to each other before like we want like a Mr. David tell-all what's going on in um, Claremont but I want a tell-all of the officers in the precinct just of them (laughs) like the interactions that they have on a daily basis. A whole episode from the perspective of one of just like the beat cops in the precinct with them because can you imagine walking into that precinct station and Malcolm's just like ranting in one of the conference room what are you gonna like what do you think about that you walk in and he's like yelling I need a murder (laughs) or that time he confessed basically to murder in the middle of the NYPD and nobody cared apparently I'm convinced that they all heard that 
they all heard him confess to that murder with Jessica and they just chose to ignore it. They were like, you know what? Not my business. I'm going to keep going about my day. If they want to figure that out on their own time, they can. But it's not going to be me who brings him in for murder. That's for sure. Um, but then the other Brightwell moment in the episode was actually really sweet. We had like a nice heart to heart between Malcolm and Danny in which Malcolm, as usual, told Danny nothing personal about himself and Danny told him all kinds of personal things about herself. <laughs> um, and then Malcolm, as usual, has an epiphany that allows him to crack the case. But what did we think about that conversation? Because it was actually a really great moment for Danny because she kind of said a lot of things that she was vulnerable and worried about. I think it had one of the best lines of the episode for me with Danny saying, you know, when they're talking about racial inequality, it was basically like nothing's new. People are just paying attention now. And it's such a nice, not nice, but a well-stated point about what's going on, what's been going on and what they're addressing in the show as far as the racial issues we're seeing. Because it's true. It never went away. But no one mentioned it until someone stood up and said, hey, you see this is still an issue, right? And for her to share that with Malcolm, kind of at that personal level there, was something that you're going, oh, she actually really does trust him. She wouldn't say that to just anyone. I feel like, like Jewel said, Malcolm never kind of like tells her anything personal. And I, I wonder how like Danny thinks that he thinks of her. Like, I wonder if he thinks like, obviously, oh, she has my back in the field, but I just can't talk to her about this stuff. But I mean, to be fair, like Malcolm has not had the opportunity to have friends other than Vijay, come back season two, Vijay, <laughs> please, corner table boys. But I mean, like he, obviously he has like a lot going on, uh, a lot of dark stuff in his past. And I just wonder, like, how do they like see each other? Like in terms of outside of the field, like how comparing where they think they're at in their friendship. I think that I kind of like that Danny felt comfortable enough to open up to him about that. I think especially with the situation with JT going on, that she felt like maybe it was a conversation that needed to be had, um, but that she felt comfortable enough doing so. Um, that really stood out to me. And I also like kind of going back to the moment before when she was kind of wearing the body armor and he was asleep, she ended up taking him home. So I'm I'm glad that their friendship is blossoming a little bit more and that they're more comfortable with one another to have those serious conversations. The only thing that worries me about Danny and Malcolm going forward is that Danny has been willing to share a lot of things about herself. You know, we learned a lot about her past, things that she was kind of worried about sharing with him. And he's shown her some of himself. Like, I mean, she's seen him have his freakouts and his moments. And like, she's kind of aware of like how difficult his life can be sometimes. But I think that there's so much that she doesn't know about him, especially now that he's actively hiding this murder cover up from her. There's just a lot of secrets between them. And I think she's done a good job of trying to kind of keep those lines of communication open, even when it's hard for her because she's not somebody who's super open with a lot of people. I, I worry for her. I do like, I, I just wonder about what her reaction will be as she finds out about some of this stuff. This is kind of veering off topic a little bit, but I wonder like what, everyone else thinks it's happened with Endicott because I know Jessica's a little bit suspicious because of um, <laughs> the upcoming rug but also just because you know she kind of knows that um, her children are acting cagey well Ainsley's gonna crack down the line I'm convinced of that but I wonder like what Gail and like Danny and JT think of this because I know they know something was going down with Endicott that night 
I mean, we know that they found the body. So it sounds like they were looking for him. Like, it sounds like there was some kind of manhunt, like perhaps like a missing person thing. I mean, I guess you could write it off as Endicott did a lot of shady stuff that night, but I think you could explain it that way. Like you could say like he was doing all these things and he ran, he just decided to escape and he ran and then got lost in Estonia or wherever we found his body and that was it. But I, I do wonder if they're gonna address that at all because the fact that no one's really talking about him, like that kind of makes me laugh a little bit. Yeah, and back to, you know, Malcolm and Danny, when that does come out, because we know it will, like she's trusted him with a lot and he's got huge, huge secrets from not just her, but everyone. And when that comes out, she's, I would think, is going to be very, very upset with him. Oh, she's definitely going to be, I don't even know if she'd be more upset about like it happening because obviously she knows everything that was going on with Endicott and more just the fact that he was hiding it. And um, back when, was his name Eddie? Endicott's like hitman that Sophie was the one that killed, you know, she, she kind of believed that it was him at that time. So I wonder like when she does find out and she will find out like how that's going to change her perception yet again. Cause she was like, she was feeling bad when that happened. Like, oh, I should have trusted him. But now like <laughs> the tables have kind of turned. Definitely. The other big thing that happened in the episode, which was super cool, was watching Malcolm get his exorcism on. A nice, I mean, that scene was really good. It, it, the, the actor playing the guy who was lead poisoned slash possessed was really excellent in that scene. I mean, Tom Payne was really good in that scene just because he had to fake an exorcism he didn't believe in at all, you know, and he had to make it convincing enough. It was really funny. I, I thought it was a, a well done scene. Can we also mention the fact that he gets in this situation and the first thing he does is not call for backup. No, it's, hmm, better call my dad. Better Honestly, that might be my first call. If, if, I, if I was in that situation and I had Martin Whitley on speed dial, I might call Martin Whitley. <laughs> I mean, yes, but Martin's not even the helpful one, as it turns out. He wouldn't have gotten anything if it weren't for the fact that Martin happened to be having, what, a chess game? or whatever it was with Friar Pete at the time. And it's like, Malcolm, what was the thought process here? I mean, it worked out for you in the end, but like, really? My favorite thing is the running gag of Malcolm, like being on his phone when he shouldn't, like always in the middle of a dangerous situation. And, oh, here's Barton on the phone. When I'm with Leanne, like they were literally like in the basement or the crypt or whatever it was. Like they could have came and helped him, but no, let's let's call Dr. Whitley instead. <laughs> priorities duh. <laughs> duh the last person you hear before you die martin whitley talking to you <laughs> through the phone you just hear my boy <laughs> my boy no <laughs> i mean honestly it might be worth it <laughs> that might be worth that making that last phone call i mean they both do it though something goes wrong malcolm calls martin something goes wrong martin calls malcolm in the finale we saw in the middle of a prison riot Martin gets on the phone and he's like, my boy, guess what? <laughs> and we're all like, what are you doing? <laughs> also, it's, you. Called, it's codependency and it's really, it's a wonderful thing to see. <laughs> Another <laughs> thing that's supernatural related. So <laughs> <laughs> that was going to say. Toxic codependency. <laughs> okay. The next big kind of beat that they talked about in the episode, it was a continuation of the last episode, but JT has just been dealing with the racism within the NYPD, like as a whole. Last week, it was people not recognizing him at the crime scene. This week, it was him calling for backup, which 
hey, listen, like he did exactly what he was supposed to do and what we yell at every single person on this show to do more frequently. And they, I have two theories about this. We'll get into it. But they either didn't believe he was a cop and just dismissed him or they knew exactly who was calling and they ignored him on purpose. And I don't know which of the two I believe, but they didn't end up having backup at the scene. Gil ends up yelling at them later. But what did we think of the storyline? Do we think it was a good continuation of last week? I think that they're doing a good job of um, just kind of like interspersing the scenes and not just having like a big chunk. And um, like, I don't remember who was saying it earlier, but like Danny's discussing it and other people are discussing it. So I think they're doing a good job of spreading it out. I like that what they've done is they've taken this really big subject that a lot of shows have tackled by going, here's an episode about this, enjoy. And they've, instead of writing their scripts around the issue, they've written the issue into their script. So we're seeing the fact that, you know, this is an issue, but it's an issue at the same time as everything else. It's not, this is an issue and it's the only issue. This is an issue and it keeps going. Yeah, I agree with Kennedy and Leanne. Um, I I think I mentioned last episode um, of our podcast that in the, uh, not the pilot, in the premiere that I kind of was a little thrown off about where they had placed the JT scene. Like, I feel like it was kind of like thrown in at the end, but now I like how they are not throwing it under, under the rug. Like I had said previously that like Leanne said, kind of putting it in here and there and actually adding it to the story and not the story being added to it, I guess I want to say. Um, And it's really well done. Like, I like how things are still happening. Like, it's not just going away. Oh, oh, surprise. It's still there. (laughs) So I, I really admire that they're really taking this seriously, um, as they should. And um, I'm excited to see it play out. But I hope it doesn't play out for like all 13 episodes, like maybe continue it for a little bit longer. And then hopefully somehow it get resolved. I also hope that we get to see a little bit more of JT's like development outside of this issue because obviously mm. like addressing it's important especially with everything that's been going on but JT was like a relatively you know flat character in season one compared to even like other supporting characters like Adresa so I do hope that that gets resolved in a good way but um also that we get to see a little bit of his personality like outside of that maybe I want to see more of Tally and the baby's coming soon. <laughs> Because he's funny. I mean, that's the thing we kind of talked a little bit about last week. But one of JT's best bits being in season one is that he was kind of the one who was like, huh? Like if whenever Malcolm was doing crazy stuff, JT was the one being like, excuse me. And he still kind of has that role because we saw him in the part with the exorcism and him being with Norman, that he was kind of playing that role of like, whoa, like what, what is this guy doing? But yeah, I mean, I think his acting is incredible. Frank Hartz has been amazing through the first two episodes. I thought the scene in the office with him and Gil kind of talking over their experiences was really interesting. Um, It makes me worry a little bit for JT because he kind of keeps saying he's going to take care of it. Um, And I just worry about what that means for him, like what they mean by taking care of it, especially because Danny's the one who's kind of urging him to go to the union and go to these different people and kind of take it up through official means and I just worry about what JT might do because he's worried about his family and worried about consequences that way. Now on to a different subject. Uh, as, as Kennedy said today, cue the Titanic music because the ships are a sinking. Gil and Jessica, we, we, we had them for about one, one episode. One um, and a half. One, one and a half episodes, really. 
and and now they, they appear to be no more. I mean, what were you guys thinking that that last scene is such a heartbreaker? Okay, we know that I love Gil and Lee Diamond <laughs> Phillips. It is no secret. Um, I'm heartbroken. Like my heart will not go on. Okay, I need I need more of this. I. I feel like they have so much history and I think Jessica is just scared. I mean, and I see why I know it's an insecurity of hers about her choice of men, which I mean, it it's not great so far. She doesn't have a great track record, but she is not a bad person and she's not cursed. And no. Gil is a great person. We love Gil. Um, I really hope that they work it out. I don't I want them to rush things and then ruin it. Like, Maybe they try being closer friends first and then try to blossom it more. But I think she's going to let her guard down a little bit. I'm I'm so mad that she overheard like the tail end of his conversation with Danny, because I also feel like a lot of that conversation was Danny's frustration with Malcolm mm -hmm. leaking into that mm -hmm. and not just Gil and Jess. And obviously, like, yeah, Gil probably shouldn't have like charged in their loan. Hashtag call for backup. But um, <laughs> I, I just really think that was some of her frustration leaking out at you know the situation that she's in and that was just a really inopportune moment for Jessica to like walk in like they both deserve some happiness I think it it was so sad because you knew the moment you saw Gil walking into that scene you're like this is the ship is sinking it is it's done <laughs> they've hit the iceberg um but like I you can understand why Jessica did what she did but at the same time you're just sitting there watching it happen like there's nothing I can do to fix it but like I want to so badly. It's so depressing to watch it go down in, well, I'd say go down in flames because that doesn't work with our sinking metaphor. They're just so cute together and I really hope they work it out soon because they make me yeah. laugh. And, and, and Jessica needs somebody like Gil because she's a little bit more upper crusty and she needs somebody who's a little bit more down to earth and can kind of pull her out of like her weird delusions and like he's head over heels in love with her. Like the way that he looks at her is so cute. And it's just, uh, I, I can't talk about it, guys. I'm not over it yet. <laughs> we have to get this. <laughs> Too soon. We have to get this ship sailing again really quick. Um, and then our last bit, two related topics. First of all, we meet Friar Pete in this episode, who is one of our new recurring characters this season. We have a few, but he's, I think, the first one that we really met who's going to be sticking around for a long time. I personally loved him. I just loved his characterization a lot in the way that Christian Borrell chose to play him really killed me. But what do you guys think? I definitely think he's an interesting character, but you like love his vibe. I don't. I'm calling him <laughs> Fire Creep from this point out. It's not, I don't like it. I don't like it. I mean, when I say I like his vibe, just to be fully clear, I do also think he's creepy. I just like what he does to the show. <laughs> I, I also like the chemistry that he has with Martin, which is like, again, this, I love seeing Martin have various friendships with weirdo killers. Um, I, I just think he's hilarious. And I think, again, like agreeing with Jules, I think they play off each other really well, him and Martin. Um, and he's like, they're like, kind of like the dynamic duo of Claremont, maybe... <laughs> another corner table boys over there <laughs> so it's like you said he plays a very nice foil to malcolm malcolm martin there's too many m names in this show two that, two that for two two. Yeah. <laughs> two episodes of us mixing these people up we should be keeping count at this point <laughs> but they just it's so interesting to see now. Oh my gosh. Twice <laughs> in a row. Three. <laughs> right then. Just 
to not use names anymore. Um, <laughs> but like, we haven't seen him interact with anybody a whole lot other than his family, Mr. David, and trying to potentially kill Jerry last episode. <laughs> um, so it's interesting to see someone who actually kind of does know him a little bit. And they apparently meet to play chess. Like, are they friends? We don't know. It'll be interesting. Again, I just, I want to know how, like, have they been friends this whole time? Is this new since Martin is um, coming back to Claremont? But I also want to see, like, who else is hiding in the dusty corners of Claremont? Because we've only seen, like, you know, obviously we love Jerry, but back in season one, like, we didn't really get a good glimpse at that many people. I feel like there's some interesting characters in there. Are they are they all murderers? Is, do they have a little club going on? I don't know. Yeah, that was my question. I'm like, we know that Claremont is a psychiatric hospital, and we know that Martin is there, even though he's a well-known serial killer. But is it a psychiatric hospital for the, the oh no, what's the word? Um, incarcerated. I don't think that's the word I wanted but it works <laughs> is it like is that what it is or is it just like they have a special wing for that is the whole I mean questions because we don't know why the heck Jerry was there or how he got to be the one the poor guy stuck in a room with Martin <laughs> Whitley we see that they act that pretty quickly because he didn't have another roommate this episode so yeah, I was going to say, I'm telling you, I'm like manifesting this. I want a Claremont like focused episode where we just kind of get to know, like, I want to know all the nooks and crannies. Like, I want to know how people get there, like what the process is. And if they get like, you know, like more therapy time, because I know we had a little bit of therapy time with Martin in this episode. So, which is always my favorite, but um, my favorite thing in the whole world is when they agreed. do therapy time. It'll also be interesting because if, my memory is right and if I'm wrong correct me but isn't Catherine Zeb Jones coming on as a Claremont therapist for Martin she works in the in the hospital right doesn't she doesn't she work in the medical part and then you think helping her with the the medical stuff okay Mm -hmm. yeah I thought she was coming on as a therapist that would be amazing honestly because if anyone needs a private therapist it's Martin Whitley but you know and then the other thing about Friar Pete coming in is he introduces this throwaway line at the end of the episode that we are maybe thinking about an exodus oh no we can't have martin whitley roaming the world as a free man i mean what do we think do we think he's actually going to get out or do we think this is just kind of a tease i think so i think he's getting out because i thought we saw in the preview for next week that he's like honey i'm home to jessica but maybe i don't know maybe it's a dream we can talk about that in theories but um I think he gets out somehow. I'm he's too smart not to, I feel like. And with Friar Pete's help, I think he can do it. I agree. And I would say though, the scene we see in all the previews, it does still look like his hands are shackled, even when he's in the house. So it's like, did he get out or did he get like some sort of day trip, like field trip pass that Mr. David signed to let him leave? Mr. David would never let Martin out. He's seen too much. <laughs> he's seen too much but okay do you think that they are going to get out um but I don't think it's going to be next episode um Jules has been waiting for the trippy dream sequence I think that's that's got to be it for next episode but also Adrisa gets to meet him in the next episode that's what I'm excited to see but it looked like they were 
they were outside, but it looked like he was in like the courtyard again. So I don't know. I think they're going to get out eventually. It'll be interesting to see. All right. So theory time. Um, (laughs) So what do we think you can either do a theory for next episode or for the whole season? What are you guys thinking? I mean, there's so many directions to go with this. I mean, I, my, my first main theory is about Gil and Jessica, I think to me, Mm -hmm. because I just, I want them to get back together. I know it's not going to be right away. I'm pretty sure sure I saw an interview with the producers at one point where they were like oh like you know it'll it'll be like a thing that we develop later on and I'm like no I want it now um (laughs) but that I I think I hope that what they're doing is kind of putting them in equal footing because I think after the first season they were just getting to know each other and they were just kind of getting back into knowing each other before they sort of just fell into this whirlwind thing and so maybe now with more time it can develop into something a little bit more deep and real I um this is like a whole different topic. I think Ainsley, I said this earlier, is just going to crack at some point later on. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of foreshadowed that in this episode with um, she's, you know, staying, living at the Whitley family mansion. And she says it's because of Jessica, but she's also like, oh, I don't remember anything. How strange. Oh, Dr. <laughs> Whitley really messed us up. Oh, like I, something bad's going to happen. It's inevitable. <laughs> I agree, Kennedy, and it was one of my favorite moments. Um, Brianna, who was on the podcast um, podcast last week, I was messaging her. I'm like, did anybody just see Ainsley holding the knife, her reflection in the knife? And she's like, what? I'm just setting the table. And like that whole scene just was hilarious and I loved it. And I definitely think somehow like her memories are going to start coming back because we do hopefully go into her childhood a little bit this season. So I think like things will start to come back and that amnesia will no longer be amnesia. So I'm curious to see what happens. I want to see I who she think... loses it on personally. Oh yeah, for sure. Who are we, who are we losing? <laughs> Who's going to die on the show? Because like another, anchor, lose... like another anchor on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Cut her off or Isn't something. Murders? <laughs> the co-anchor <laughs> on her morning show? <laughs> Either that or, just... you know, she succeeds in killing Jerry where Martin failed. <gasps> she's really like like father like daughter <laughs> she's dun, dun, finishing dun. the job <laughs> I also think that I don't know a part of me although I like Friar Pete and I think he works well with Martin I feel like he has his own what's the word I'm looking for gosh dang it agenda um yes thank you he has his own agenda and like maybe he wants Martin to get out for some reason or like maybe he wants Martin to help him get out as well like I think there's something more going on there and I think it's interesting and I'm I'm excited yeah what is his end game like what's his basis for helping Martin you know like if you're trying to escape from a highly guarded institution you want to keep that plan to people that you really trust you know that you really like are are trust not to tell somebody or spill the beans or whatever and he just kind of told them like straight up so I wonder what his deal is Mm mm-hmm Maybe this will be a window into getting to know more Claremont people because, I mean, he said it like there's already like an established group, like it's not just them too. So yeah, he definitely has some ulterior motive, but I also feel like he just wants to start killing people again. So who knows? I don't know. I think it's been interesting because the first season we really had eight people that we got to know. The four Whitleys and then Gil, Danny, Idrissa, and JC. So the fact that we're getting more introductions, I mean, yes, you had Mr. David in there last time, but you never knew anything about him, except for he was the poor 
sucker assigned to babysit Martin Woodley. <laughs> um, so, like, it'll be interesting to see and learn, you know, why, why are we getting more characters? Are they like Endicott? So they're just going to end up dead at the end? I would think at least one of them will, but who knows? Warning. Warning. Mount Danger. And now it is time for one of our favorite segments, which is the Malcolm Danger Count, uh, where we just go over all the many, many bad decisions made by such a smart man, really, truly, mm-hmm. Mr. Malcolm Bright. So this week, actually, not as many Danger Counts, but the events that happened were spectacular, you know? And so fewer overall, but really crazy. Uh, so the first one, obviously, is Malcolm doing the one thing he was told not to do when meeting with the potentially possessed man, and that is to cross the salt lines. It was the one thing that that mom emphasized to him repeatedly, and it was the first thing he wanted to do. I mean, he just wanted to test his theory. Come on, guys. Like, you can't, <laughs> can't know unless you try it, right? And I just oh like JT's God. line where he's like, Malcolm Bright, always crossing the line or something like something to that effect. And I love it. It was great. He's just got to be a good scientist. He had a hypothesis. He's got to test it, no matter how stupid and dangerous it is to do so. I really think JT's face just said it all. And it really fits oh, yeah. with the tone of Malcolm danger count. It's just everyone perpetually making that face at Malcolm. Um, and then the, the second moment, too, is the fact that Malcolm locks himself in the church with this man who is very clearly suffering from like a a, a psychiatric break. Like whether or not you think it's like possession or lead poisoning, like he's having a really rough time. Locking himself in and then performing a fake exorcism that he's hoping works. Cause he didn't know that that was gonna work. That was just a wild guess. (laughs) When Martin says it's a bad idea, it's probably a bad idea. (laughs) He was like, cause Malcolm's like, what do you what do you do if you're already in the room with him he's like oh well <laughs> you're kind of screwed so like yeah when your father who's a serial killer is like oh here's what you should do and you say well um what if i did this instead and said father goes uh 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 and has nothing yeah probably made the wrong choice there buddy <laughs> Hey, to be fair, we didn't even mention the candelabra earlier. That's not what it's called. It was a single candle thing. I don't know. Candlestick? A candlestick? candlestick? Y'all know what I'm trying to say. Okay, <laughs> like he, we, if there was a danger count for Malcolm putting others in danger, which honestly there should be at this point, that would definitely be on it because he swung that thing very hard. I hope paint guy is okay. He's probably has a concussion. <laughs> Pink Eye had a name, but I had to look it up for the recap because I just kept calling him Pink Guy in my head. We know that Malcolm is a master at weapons. Any weapon, apparently, just candlesticks, axes, <laughs> swords, whatever. It's yeah, it's on his yeah, it's on his playhouse. Starting to feel like a game of clue. Who did it? Is Malcolm <laughs> in the sanctuary with the candlesticks? <laughs> In the crypt. <laughs> in the crypt, in the scary crypt with the nun, which, like, I would not have investigated, like, fully, that, no, I would have just let her do whatever she was going to do. If she if she has somebody she wants to murder, I'm not going to get in her way, you know? Like, Sounds like the conjuring. It was their fault, I bet, you know? I'm not I'm not going to get in the middle of that. It's the way they heard that, like, ominous clanging noise, and we're like, 
yeah, let's go check it out. <laughs> like, no, I would have <laughs> left. I'm, I'm obviously not cut out for the job. It's that point in the movie where you're like yelling, you're like, don't go in the room. And they obviously <laughs> can't hear you, but it's, you still do it anyway. Exactly. You're sitting there going, oh no, that's a bad choice. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And then they do. And you're like, you knew they were going to. If you're not so, yelling through the characters at your, if you're not yelling through the screen at your characters, like you're, you're doing it wrong, obviously. <laughs> so that brings our overall count for the episode to two. Like exceedingly bad choices, but really only two of them. And he's growing a little bit because he did occasionally seem to show the instinct to call for backup, which, you know, that's, a, that's growth. That's real growth for him. And then the overall count this season. So the premiere episode, we had four. And then this is two. So now we're at six. We're at six danger counts on two episodes, which I feel like is a, we're racking up the point totals real quick for our friend Malcolm. Any theories on how high it will be this season? I'm saying, I say 15. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Well, we, <laughs> well, I'm trying to think 13 episodes. I don't know. Cause we had, it was kind of low this episode. So we'll see. Yeah, that was my question. I'm like, if we heard how many episodes? Because I'm like, if we average, let's say three an episode for 13 episodes, we're already at, what's that put us, 39 or something like that? Oh, Lord. Oh. I'm going to highball it. I'm, I'm going with like <laughs> 35, solid 35. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, because you know there's going to be one episode where Malcolm is just absolutely wild and like there's going to be like eight because he's just not. <laughs> he's just wild now. Yeah, I'd say it's going to be in the 40s somewhere at least. I mean, oh my goodness. You have a lot more faith in Malcolm than I do, Kaylee. I was, I I was guess. putting it up there. Well, the I thought that was a lot, but sure. I guess not. <laughs> well, I was trying to think of our rewatch too, if anybody did not um, check the Twitter, um, nerds, hashtag nerds rewatch prodigal. Um, we did it over the summer until about Christmas. Um, actually, no, until about New Year's. New Year's. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like it wasn't as much, but I guess if you add it all together, it was a lot. Did we ever get a, t- a total for season one? You know what? I never actually counted up the total for season one, but we were averaging about three an episode. There was one where he had like six and there was one that he had mm. like one because it was just one long danger count. We just I think it was the whole thing as one. I think but, that yeah. episode was when he was in the junkyard. Uh, and no, no, in the basement of his house. That in, in the basement, was. in the basement, because that was just all one. He never really mm-hmm. got out of danger, so he couldn't put himself into danger. It was just a whole thing. But yeah, it was it was about three an episode last season. So I'm going to yeah, I'm going to I'm going to say we're in the 30s. I think we all need to. To come back and have like a, a mid-season hiatus comparison like per new prediction agreed Absolutely. coming soon <laughs> next episode <laughs> well we'll try to get you guys the um the season one total for danger count totally i'll have it ready for you next week as a parting note for our podcast we'll be ending off every episode with a little motivational quote and or affirmation to hopefully inspire you this week's quote is and they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. And as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. If you're ever alone in the room with someone who is demonically possessed and you feel tempted to break the one rule the creepy lady told you not to break, don't be like Malcolm and call for backup. That's our show for this week. Be sure to check back next week for another episode. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Nerds and Beyond for all of your dirty news.